Great to see you all here this morning, and uh, great to have the Johnsons with us. Bittersweet, but really sweet, to be able to know you, love you, and now send you. That was a great introduction to our sermon series that we're calling Faith That Moves. And uh, today, we get to talk about Abraham, part two. Before we do that, though, I'm reminded that... uh, the passage that we're going to look, about, look at in just a moment talks about Abraham and his father and a promise that was made. And I remember um, when I was a kid, things that my dad said and didn't deliver on. Problem is, after 60 years, I can't remember specifically what they were. <laughs> So I texted my daughters and I said that, you know, that same question. Can you remember something that I may have promised you and I never kept that promise? And they both wrote back, (laughs) within a couple seconds actually. (laughs) Sometimes I wait for hours. And, uh, And one of them said, well, Dad, I remember when you took our other daughter, to the shore with, with bikes, and, and you promised me that we would do the same thing, and we never did. And, of course, you know what I said to her, and I've been trying to make it up, of course, through the years, but uh, isn't it amazing, though, that the power of a promise, especially from a parent, a father, uh, can be remembered 20 years later in this instance? And... Uh, power of a broken promise actually hurts and wounds. That's what we're going to be talking about today in the passage from Hebrews chapter 11. To set the context, as the video, the music video did there, and yes, Shep, I'm glad you didn't dance here, uh, but it is danceable music, isn't it? And it's memorable. Hebrews 11 is all about faith. The word is used over 20 times just in this chapter alone. And set in the context of the book of Hebrews, uh, the book of Hebrews is written to Hebrew Christians, Jewish believers in Jesus, who were being tempted to not continue to believe, to lose their faith in Jesus because of the pressure around them. And the author points this, this direction of, the beauty of Jesus, the immense betterness of the new covenant that he brings. And in chapter 10 and 11 and 12, he says, here's what robust faith in Jesus looks like. It's not just a moment of faith. It's a lifetime of faith. It's not just a spark. It's a relentless trust in verse 1 what you're memorizing there in the NIV, it calls it a confident assurance of unseen realities, which means that faith is not perfect, but it is persistent. It moves us to act. And in this chapter 11, it's a long chapter, and it's a list of men and women that the author picks from his Bible, what we call the Old Testament, starting in Genesis and going all the way through 
actually after the Old Testament into the time, those 400 years between the Testament. He picked some men and women there to say, here are people who had faith in God and His coming Messiah, and it never died in their life. It kept going. It moved them to action. And last Sunday, Pastor Jim explained Abraham and his call to an uncertain future. If you weren't here, I hope you check out our website, look on YouTube. Um, it was really a challenge to my heart as well. Life is uncertain, and faith moves us to follow Jesus. Today, we come to, as I said, Abraham part two. It's verses 17 through 19, where Abraham's faith was tested and he struggled to obey God. So, I will read these verses. Please follow me in your copy of the Scriptures. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, quote, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, unquote. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. Three verses tell an amazing story that's packed in the Old Testament in more verses than that. Here's the first piece. In Genesis chapter 21, you recall, God had said to Abraham, your miracle baby, the one that I had promised to you and Sarah, the one that only I could give you, he will be your chosen son. He will be the one that brings the promise of the seed of the woman that would crush the head of the serpent. He would be the one that will be the one that Abraham said will bless all the nations. You read the story back in Genesis, and it's quite amazing because God promised Abraham a land. He took him to the land. He promised him a son, and they had no kids. And you remember how it went, right? He thought, well, maybe my slave boy could be my heir. God says no. And then there's the handmaid, Hagar. Maybe, uh, maybe this boy, Ishmael, will be the heir. No. Well, God, uh, my wife is getting older, and so am I, and... Uh, you invented the human biological clock, and it's already hit midnight. It's over. And God says, yeah, I know. And then they both laughed when Grandma got pregnant. You know the story, right? But then there's another story in Genesis chapter 22, right after chapter 21, when God reinforced and Hebrews quotes it there in verse 18. It is Isaac that will be the promised seed. Genesis 22. 
If you have your scriptures, I'd like to read to you that story. When the author of Hebrews wrote his letter, they all knew this story backwards and forwards. So let's refresh our memory here. I'd like to read the first 14 verses of Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. What a story. Could you feel the way the story slowed down and we listened to them taking step by step up Mount Moriah. We're walking in Abraham's sandals. What a decision. What was going through Abraham's mind, do you think? Could it be something like, should I argue with God? Because he just promised me, and now he tells me this? Maybe. Or do you think Abraham entertained the possibility of just walking away from this absurd God who seems to contradict himself 
One minute he promises, the next minute he takes back his promise, or so it seems. What kind of God is this? Maybe. Or could it be that Abraham would just say, well, look, I'm religious, I'm going to do it, and maybe this God that I worship, this Yahweh, this God, this Elohim, this God who called me, maybe he's capricious. Maybe he changes his mind. So he said this a while back. Now he says that. Not sure I want to worship this God, but okay, I'll just do it. Maybe. But he didn't do any of those things. But, but, but hold on a minute. Have you ever felt <laughs> like Abraham? I think if you're honest, I've got to say yes. When life doesn't make sense, how many times do we say, God, <laughs> right? Because deep down, especially as Christians, we know that God controls everything. And things could be different if God wanted them to be different. So when they don't make sense, our first instinct, at least it's mine, is to say, you know, I believe in the sovereignty of God. (laughs) And then I use it as a tool to question him or attack him. Could Could I just pause for a moment and say, that is the normal experience of godly people who walk in faith. If somehow you've got this image that once you believe in Jesus and you live by faith, you're kind of kicked up a notch and the struggles disappear. And somehow now you're like just one step away from heaven and you know, that the, the halo may need adjusting, but, you know, it's, it's, it's there. No, come on, let's, let's deflate that balloon, let's smash that idol all the way from Genesis to Revelation until we see Jesus face to face. We are seeing in a mirror darkly, as Paul says. We are living by faith, not by sight, and faith is messy, and it's difficult, and that's what is pictured here. But what is also described here is the robustness of faith. Sure, it's attacked. Sure, we doubt. Sure, we struggle, but we don't give up. That's what Abraham shows us here. Abraham had to die to his preconceived notions about God and his promise. He had to put down his expectations of how God should act. He had to choose between God's gift, his son Isaac, and God himself. That's the struggle. And he had to say to himself in his heart, Okay, I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to call God crazy. I'm not going to argue with him because I know I'm right. I am going to die to myself. I am going to say no. 
Stop, repent, be quiet, and listen and trust in faith. And our faith, when we struggle, we've got to experience that kind of death, a giving up, a, a surrender, if you will. You know, we started our service today with verses from Romans chapter 12. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, because of the mercies that God has shown you, present, offer your body to God as a living, what's the next word? Sacrifice. Not a, a living sacrifice. Now, I know it's opposite, but it's the word sacrifice. Sacrifices are sacrifices because they're given up. They die. And because Abraham had faith in God, his struggle with God led him first to sacrifice his own desires and then to sacrifice his son. Hmm. So this is what he asked. How is God going to keep his promise about Isaac if I sacrifice him? See, we know the answer. We know what he did. I'm trying to make up the question behind the answer. That's what he must have said to himself. His imagination in what God might do produced a creative alternative. Resurrection. Where have you seen resurrection? If you're just starting in Genesis 1 and go to Genesis 22, tell me, where's resurrection been? It hasn't been. So where did he get the idea? Well, maybe because God resurrected Sarah's womb to conceive a baby. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But that's what a robust, creative faith does. It comes up with a possibility that gives God the credit instead of trying to figure it out himself. So he reasoned, verse 19 says, that God would still fulfill his promise if he killed Isaac by raising the dead. Unheard of. His creative words were actually embedded in the chapter in Genesis that I read to you. Do you remember what Abraham said to his helpers? He said, you stay here with the donkeys. I and my son, we will go worship and we will return to you. It's plural in both. We will go, we will come back. His... his Faith saw beyond the immediate, beyond the observable, beyond the contradiction, beyond the unrevealed, and it rested in God alone. His faith moved his doubts away, killed them, and pushed him to lean ever deeper on God and his amazing power. So Abraham died to his own will, and he experienced, could we say, a kind of resurrection of his faith when he struggled 
to sacrifice his own son who also experienced a kind of resurrection. <laughs> There's a double death and double resurrection here. First of Abraham <laughs> and then of Isaac. Amazing. Now, this is written for us because like Abraham, we all struggle to follow God, to obey Him. And sometimes God's promises to us seem to conflict with His commands to us. That's what was true here. Not always, but sometimes. Now, I've thought of two ways in which we struggle in our life. Let me just pick the first one and call it our direction in life, our calling in life. You know, those major decisions that come about that really influence, those, those could we say the forks in the road that if I choose this, I end up over here, and if I choose that, I go almost in the opposite direction. Um, maybe it's a starting a new career or changing halfway through. Should I do this in my life or should I do that for employment? Maybe it's moving from one place to another. Maybe it's nearby or maybe it's out of state or out of country. Maybe it's something as radical as adopting a child or perhaps starting a new business or reaching out in a new way to your neighbors in this post-COVID world. You've seen what it's like to be isolated and now, wow, it's almost like we have a fresh start. And I could go on and on with ways in which we, we come to those decisions and we say, all right, God, should it be this way or that way? And we, we, we must learn to claim God's promise so that if we have two good alternatives, hmm, we're not going to choose a bad alternative, hopefully, but we say, God, you're with me, you're providing for me, but you really haven't told me exactly which way to go, right or left here. And I'm asking, and I'm asking my friends, and I'm asking you, and I've got my expectations that I bring to this. Here's the thing. I've got my, this is the way I would like it to be. This is the way I hope it will be. And what we're learning now is we've got to be willing to lay those down, to die to our interpreted vision. And then we must, at the same time, expect God to resurrect that vision in the way He wants it to be. Instead of oh no, this is what I thought, this is what I wanted, and now something else comes in and there's a, there's a clash. So today we send off the Johnsons. And I've known them since they first came here. And I've seen how God has brought them here and God is sending them there to Ohio. But there's been a struggle, like in anything, fitting in here at Chelton. What does this new culture look like compared to where they came from? Going to school, 
I had Andrew in class. He was an excellent student. <laughs> he worked hard. But I'm sure if you asked him, he might say, yeah, some of those courses, not Crucens, of course. Oh, man, talk about struggle. But they will tell you God's fingerprints are all over this decision, am I right? To go to Ohio right now, everything from their housing to the opportunity, of which I'm very jealous in a godly way, to be at Parkside Church, and who knows what God has for you after that. I know of at least four people who are literally moving from where they live here to some other place out of state this summer. And it wasn't easy, right? It's not like, oh yeah, I think I'll just, no. There's a struggle, there's labor pains involved in this kind of decision. I know of some people who are planning to adopt. <laughs> Talk about adoption, not easy at all. I know of some people who are thinking about entrepreneurial businesses with, a, with an edge to ministry, and they're thinking, what does it look like? They're talking, they're wondering, how can I do this to bring God maximum glory with maximum profit to share? And, and neighboring. You know, we're doing our VBS in neighborhood homes, and that's, what? You're kind of turning VBS inside out? Well, yeah, for this year at least. Oh, well, what does that mean? Well, and some of you are opening your homes, thank you. Some of you are helping in that by teaching and helping. But that is a mirror of what we should all be doing in our neighborhoods to reach out, to get to know and love and help and serve those people in our communities. And for some of you, that's a real struggle, especially with that lady who's been such an irritation to you. Bring her trash cans in. Are you kidding? I want to empty them before they're picked up because of the pain she's been to me. Ah, I see. So it sounds like you need to die to revenge. I'm just making an illustration here. Here's, here's another second way that we struggle in our faith, and it's in prayer. What a mysterious thing. It's so simple, right? A two-year-old can pray. But understand what prayer is and how it works Oh, struggle is written all over it, especially when we take a promise, pick any of the promises, even the words of Jesus, whatever you ask in my name, I'll give you. And then we say, God, I asked, and you didn't give it. <laughs> so here's the clash, here's the conflict. We, we should learn to claim God's promises, yes, but remember, we have to die to those expectations. Even Jesus, when he prayed in the garden, Lord, if possible, remove this cup. Remember his next words? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you want. It's always if it be your will. 
whether it's prayer for healing. If you look at our uh, prayer list that comes out once a week, many people are suffering from the worst illnesses to the, to the smallest, I guess you could say, but still, we're praying for people to be healed, and sometimes God answers those prayers. Sometimes the elders anoint with oil and ask God specifically to heal again, if you will it. But if we die to our interpretation, our expectation, our fulfillment, we then rise when God brings His answer in prayer. So expect that God will show you the resurrection alternative, just like Abraham did. God, I don't understand it. You made a promise. You made a command. All right, here I go. Maybe you'll resurrect my boy. That kind of thinking is what we need to latch on to. Learn to think that way. Learn to imagine that way. I have a friend who uh, has, he and his wife have been praying for adoption for years. They actually moved to a larger house recently, and they were hoping that soon, very soon, they would find out that, yeah, that we're, our house is ready, we're working on it night and day to get it ready for the boys, and in one week, their first floor was flooded when a pipe broke, and they heard from the adoption agency that it's postponed at least until August. Now, talk about a vision from God and a death. This time, literally, death of at least the first floor where everything has to be emptied, rebuilt. How long is that going to take? Thankfully, he has insurance. You may know who I'm talking about. His name is John Shepard. I don't know the end of this story. We're right in the middle of the death. He's not walking away from God. I don't know if he's arguing with God, maybe. <laughs> but I hope he's having this experience of, Lord, this is what we thought, this is what we planned, this is, I thought this is what you wanted too. And God says, um, no, not exactly. Okay, then, Lord, your will be done. My mother struggled as a widow for over 35 years. Any time when she was with us, we talked about my dad. Tears, at the best of time, tears would well up in her eyes. And she went to glory with a broken heart. But she went to glory with a broken heart tied to a heart of faith. There was always struggle. This is normal and expected when we follow Jesus. Now, for some of you, you might say, but yeah, but hold it, I, I don't get it. I thought Jesus came to give us eternal life. Yes. And the eternal life that starts now is a life that imitates his life. This, this passage in, in Hebrews 11, verse 19, 
tells us that there's really more going on here with that story in Genesis. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so, in a manner of speaking, in a figurative way, he received Isaac back from death. Well, what does he mean, in a manner of speaking, in some sort of typological way? There's a foreshadowing here. I think you know what's coming, right? There's too much here for us to miss it. The story in Genesis is about the son, Isaac, and his father, Abraham. And those point to Jesus the son and his heavenly father. You see, there was the father-son relationship with Abraham and Isaac. There was the son who carries the wood the cross. There was the location. Where did it happen? Mount Moriah. That's Jerusalem. And there was the lamb, the ram, the male goat, uh, sorry, the male sheep, the ram that was caught, that was killed in place of the son substitutionary death and atonement. Do you see it? It's there in seed form in Genesis. It explodes in the New Testament in the life and the cross of Jesus. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul knew, the writer of Hebrews knew, that embedded in this story is the good news of Jesus and the gospel. But that good news has struggle in it. That's why when Jesus taught, he would say things like this in John 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. See what Jesus did? He said, do you see how my father built nature? Death precedes resurrection. That's why when Jesus taught his disciples how to follow him, Matthew 16 says this. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Oh. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Death comes before life. Jesus died and rose again so that we might have that life. And now that we are united to Christ, we're one with Jesus, we experience that life every minute of every day of dying and rising. So pop the bubble of a perfect faith 
and a perfect life that never struggles. Welcome to the wall. You know, that's something uh, Pastor Jen likes to do. Wall, what do you call it? Rock climbing? Wall climbing? I never did it. Maybe I should. But I'll go with, with Jen. But he does it. And I've seen it, though. And don't they always have some harness attached? What a perfect illustration. Maybe I should let him use that sometime. That's our life. That's our Christian life. We're climbing. Oop, we slip. But he holds us fast. So we slip, and we get back up again, and we climb hand over hand, foot, foot. Yes. Why do we do that? <laughs> Why do people climb a wall? Because <laughs> it's worth getting to the top. Now, if it's true with a, with a rock wall, surely it's true for life to come with God. That's why last week in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it says they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. There's something better than life as we know it. Yeah, it's a struggle, but it's so worth it because knowing Jesus, being part of the family of God, having a present now that is with God and with his people and having a certain future with God and his people forever, that's what faith is, being certain of what we don't see and being assured of what we hope for. Let's pray. Lord, what a salvation you've given us. We've come as your people today to be worshipers, to be built up in our faith. And now as we go, send us away with a stronger sense of your presence with us, your power for us, and your purpose in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.